First John chapter 1. First John chapter 1 verse 3. That which we have heard. Or that which we have seen. And heard. Declare we. Unto you. That ye also may have. Look at it now. Fellowship with us. And truly. Our fellowship. Is with the father. And with his son. Jesus Christ. <laughs> said, said now. Said that which you have heard. That which you have seen. Declared we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. Did you see that first part? That, so he's saying that we wanted to have fellowship with us. Then he went on to say something. He said, truly, even though just as we are in church right now, we are all fellowshipping together, right? This is koinonia. We are fellowshipping together. We are partnering together. But he went on to say that our fellowship is with the Father. First part. Then, with his son, Jesus Christ. Now remember, we are fellowshipping together as brethren, right? But he says something also that we are also fellowshipping with the Father. Just as we are fellowshipping with one another right now. And we are also fellowshipping with the Son, Jesus Christ. The question I want to ask you this morning is this. Where is God? Where is God? Where is the Father? Think about it. In our midst. Where is the Father? Because look at it again. There are two words that are used for fellowship. He said, let's go again. Everyone, let's read it again. He said, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have what? Fellowship with who? With us, the apostles. Then he then says, and truly, our fellowship is with who? And with who also? His son, Jesus Christ. The question I'm asking is, where is the father? On earth or in heaven? Where is the father? Okay. In Luke chapter 11, how did Jesus say we should pray? How did he say we should pray? What was the first line of our prayer? So where is the father? Where is the father? Oh, so we know now the location of the father, right? Okay, good. But you know, If I also tell you that heaven is actually in God, but it's another day. God is not in heaven. Heaven is in God. Because you see, nothing can actually contain God. You know, when we think about heaven, we think about a special location that just, you know, encapsulates God. No. God is more than that. But we are going to deal later with that. But for the sake of this class, God is in heaven, right? Fantastic. Now, where is Jesus? 
Where is Jesus? You need to have this understanding. Where is Jesus? <laughs> All right, so some of us are thinking now, Pastor, what are you up to? <laughs> Where is Jesus? <laughs> Think about it. Where is Jesus? Okay, right hand. So God is carrying him like that. Is that what it means? So when we say he's sitting at the right hand of God, that means, you know, God stretches hand, right? And Jesus is seated on the right hand. So he said, God, give me your hand. Then he'll just jump on God's hand. Yeah! I'm seated on the right hand of God, right? Is that where Jesus is? Oh, you are not answering me. Is that where Jesus is? Oh, so I'm asking a question this morning. Where is Jesus? Okay, so. Okay, so let's, let, 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 let's, let's get the location of Jesus. Acts chapter 1. I want to use a scripture to answer your question. Uh, Acts chapter 1. Are you there? Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. What does it say? And when he had spoken these things, while they what? While they beheld him, or while they beheld, it was what? It was what? It was taken up. And a cloud received him out of what? Their sight. A cloud received him out of their sight. And verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly. I'm trying to explain where Jesus is. While they looked steadfastly. Because if you don't explain it very well. Someone will say, well, you take it out of their sight means it just disappeared. You understand? But the Bible is helping you to, to have a good picture of what just took place. So while they looked steadfastly towards where? Towards where? He went where? He went where? Wow. So the question again is where is Jesus? Oh, you are still not sure. Where is Jesus? Jesus is in heaven, right? Fantastic. Because this is what the scripture has said. Not Pastor John. I'm using the scripture to help to enlighten your mind. So now, go back to 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. So when he then said, Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. How do we fellowship with the Father and the, and the Son, Jesus Christ? Because we are here on earth and we see that literally the Bible said that Jesus went up and is coming again. Now let me talk about Jesus coming again. You know, people hear about the term rapture and they will say that, okay, Jesus is coming again the second time for us to come and when Jesus comes the first, second time, which is rapture, he's not going to 
He's not coming for us. We are going to him. It's we that we go to him. The Bible says in Thessalonians, it said, and the dead shall rise up and they which are alive shall be caught up. So rapture, right? Rapture simply means they, it's like saying they match the end of the match. The, the final whistle has been blown. So Jesus appears in the sky and um, every believer, both dead and alive, will be taken up. So the rapture, Jesus' feet is not going to touch ground. There are two comings. The feet of Jesus will not touch ground. He's appearing in the sky and all of us will go and meet him. You know, that's why I said we, 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 we are taking it gradually. I'm going to teach on this subject because most Christians don't even know what we believe when it comes to all this. So, that second coming of Jesus, you see the rapture, we are going to meet him. But there is another one that is called the second advent of Christ. It's no rapture. You see, when people talk about judgment day, judgment day, on the judgment day, you and I are not going to be judged. You know, people think that, oh, um, Solomon will be here. Taju will be here. Sangi will be here. So sinners and Christians will then queue up on a long line. Then God will say, hey, all right, Solo, how are you? Open the record. Then say, ah, Solo, you are a Christian. You are a Christian. You've done so well. Okay, so you know what? Go to my right hand. So he should, Solo goes. Then, then. Um, Shakiru comes and says, Shakiru, you have served God so well. Go to this. Then Sangir comes. I'm just putting an Indian name. Sangir comes and says, Sangir, look at all the sins you have committed. And Sangir will be there. And the sin will be opening up. You have fornicated. You did this. You did that. You did this. You did that. All right. Now, people think that in heaven, during judgment day, God will read out all the sins. All right, God will read out all the sins. God has no time for that. There is only one sin that encapsulates every other sin. There is only one sin. All right, the Bible says, For all have sinned, not for all have sins. There is sin and there is sins in plural. There is only one sin that sends people to hell after the death and the ascension of Jesus. And do you know the name of that sin? Do you know what that sin is? Oh, you don't know what that sin is. So it's not the lie or the fornication or all those swans. Because you see, even you yourself, if in this your age, if you if I'm to read out all your sin, do you know that we will not go, we will not live here today? So that means that the whole eternity, how will God do all that? But there is only one sin that brings judgment upon the world, that brings judgment on people, and that is the sin of unbelief. He said, he that believeth not is condemned. So when you appear before God, already, you know, for you to even be there in that second, I'm going to, I, I, I just feel like, let me just explain something to you. So when Jesus comes the first time and rapture takes place, we go with him. At that time, the judgment he's going to give to believers is about their works. He said, we reward every man according to his works. It's not about the judgment of sin. Because you see, the moment you are raptured already, it shows you are his child. You cannot be raptured as a sinner. You cannot be raptured without believing in Christ. 
So it, when the rapture takes place, God is not going to judge me in heaven. Because you see, I am already, for me to be there in the first place, there is no unholiness there. So for me to be there in the first place, that means I am qualified. Do you understand? Can a university give you a certificate if you are not on their register? So for them to, for your name to be in the register of that school, that means you must have written an exam. That means already you must have passed something. Either jam or a direct entry or a direct entry or your but for you to be in the official register of a university, it means you have done all your due process. They don't even need to know what you have done, but the registrar know that for your name to be here, all right, you are qualified for it. That is how simple it is. I don't need to disabuse our mind from the from the old image about rapture and the second advent of Christ. So when you when rapture takes place, God is not going to judge believer for their sins. No, no, that is not what is going to take place. What we are going to receive is reward. It will. Re, it's time for reward. So when He sits on that throne, He looks at you and begins to reward you according to your work, not because of your sin. So it's reward time because there are different levels of reward that we are going to get in heaven. We are not all going to be the same. There are different levels of reward. Do you understand that part right now? Now, the second advent of Christ is the time that his feet is going to touch the ground. And he's going to gather all the world. And what will happen at that time? Do you know that it's not Jesus that's going to judge them? Do you know the people that will judge them? Because the Bible says that we shall come back with him. Go and find out in 2 Corinthians. He said, we shall judge humans and angels. The believers are going to be the one judging the world. So you are going to sit on your throne, John. You are going to sit on your throne. And they are going to be there. Because now, you are now his full ambassador. And you and I are the one that will judge the world. We will even judge angels. That's how powerful, that's how great the life of Christ in us is. But we will get there. Are you just blessed by that revelation a bit? Yeah, you need to understand that. You need to understand that. That's why we need to study. That's why I told you we need to go back to the basics and understand the foundation of our faith as Christians. Now, the question I'm asking again then is this. How do we fellowship with the Father if the Father is in heaven? How do we fellowship with Jesus if Jesus is in heaven? The answer is also in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. The grace, this is what we read as benediction. All right. So, every one of you, I, I'm sure you know this already. Said so the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. And what did he say? And the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with you now and forevermore. You know, you see, some of us, I'm going to just explain something, maybe later on, remind me, you can ask me directly. There's, different when you, there's a difference between when you call him Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost. Even though it looked like a synonym by English, but when you get to the etymology, the origin of both words, there is a slight difference. In fact, that's different in major in your understanding. When you say Holy Ghost, and when I say Holy Spirit. Because you see, the Greek word, actually, 
why is it called the Holy Spirit? You are going to understand, but I, I think, let me not jump the gun. Let's just go further first. So you see here that the Bible is saying that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So in other words, even though God is in heaven, Jesus is in heaven, the Holy Spirit is right here with us in our heart. And he is the one that is bringing heaven on earth to us. The Holy Spirit is the one that is bringing the reality of God in our life. The Holy Spirit is the one that is bringing the reality of Jesus to us. Without the Holy Ghost, Christianity is dead. You see, without the Holy Ghost, there is disconnection between us and the Father. Disconnection between us and the Son. You see, let me give you an instance. Your cell phone. Do you realize that even when the person is in Canada or Australia, that cell phone automatically makes the person look as though he's with you here. Because by the time you are talking with the person, do you feel distance anymore? You don't feel distance anymore. It will be as if the person is just with you right now. God is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. But you see, the Holy Spirit is like our cell phone. That through the Holy Ghost, Jesus has come to stay in our heart. The distance has been removed. So when you say, dear Jesus, you know, instantly there's a connection. Because there is something that is greater than the cell phone. When you say, dear Holy Father, you know, instantly you are connecting. There is no distance anymore. What is making that to happen is the Holy Spirit. Do you understand now? Do you understand right now? It's the Holy Spirit that has breached the gap. So we, we, God has now come to live in us. When you have that phone in your pocket, you have the word in your pocket, right? You All the numbers you have under your phone, they are as close to you regardless of wherever they are in the world. That's how, what the Holy Spirit did. So you can see that actually the first mobile phone, huh? concept of it is the Holy Spirit. Bringing heaven on earth. That's what God did for us. That's what God did for us. Before the advent of phone or GSM. You know, the whole essence of phone is to bridge distance. Somebody that you cannot even hear easily. That what you want to, that's the whole concept of phone. That, is a, that I want to talk to somebody that is far away. As though the person is just so near. And the person can feel my pulse. Can, you know, can talk to me. That's the whole essence of human, all this digital communication. Well, the, I submit to you the first digital communication. It's not the mobile phone or the radio uh, uh, signal. It's the Holy Spirit. God brought heaven to earth. Now we relate to the Father without distance. Wow. What a awesome God. Oh, I thought somebody's going to celebrate. Where are my, where are my children that lost to connect? I, I can't feel your pause. Amen. The question then is, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? I don't want to assume that somebody knows who the Holy Spirit is. Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, this is the mystery of the Trinity. When, you, when we say the mystery of the Trinity, you see, those who have a problem with the revelation of the Holy Spirit, they only have one problem. They want a God that they can fully describe and comprehend. Those who have a problem with the doctrine of Trinity, 
They said, how can you say there is one God in three persons? That is no longer monotheism. That means you have three gods you are worshipping. Say so one should be one. But don't you realize that even in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, the Bible says, so shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave, alright, to his wife. And the two shall become what? One. It's revealing something to you. That the two shall be one. Two entities. But before God, when they come into marriage, God says you are what? One. That is what we, that is the mystery of Trinity. So we believe in the triune God. We believe in one God. But God in three persons. So we have God, God the Father. We have Jesus, God the Son. We have the Holy Ghost, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons. The triune God. Each of them is distinct. God is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Holy Ghost. They are distinct and yet they are one. They are distinct and yet they are what? One. Is the mystery of the Holy Spirit. Amen somebody. Now. The challenge some have is that. Why should we say the Holy Spirit is a person? He has life. It's easy to believe that God is a person. So I want to first prove to you right now that the Holy Spirit is a person. He has a form. He has a nature. The different as a person because when you check the definition of a person, they said a living human being. Then it's a one that, has, that is alive, that has nature, that has a form, all right? Is, is what we call corporeality. A living being without a body. It's corporeality. C-O-R. Alright? P. Then reality. It's corporeality. You see, it's a living being. Alive with everything. But it has without a body. That's corporeality. Who is the Holy Spirit? Is a person. Now, let's go. The first thing I want you to know that all spiritual beings are persons. All spiritual beings are persons. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, Let us make man in our image. Let us make mankind. In our image. That tells you that there's a relationship. That tells you there's a relationship. When it says let us make man in our image. It tells you there's a relationship. So all spiritual beings are persons. John chapter 4 verse 26 says. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit 
and in what? Truth. So, if God is a spirit and is alive, Jesus, we can't see him. He is a spiritual being. The Holy Spirit cannot be lesser. The Holy Spirit cannot be lesser. All spiritual beings are persons. I'm proving the personality of the Holy Spirit to you. The second thing I want you to know is that the Holy Spirit is listed with other persons. It's not listed in the Bible with any it or any non-living thing. It's listed in the Bible with other persons. Look at it now. Matthew chapter 28 verse 9. Go ye into all the world. Matthew 28 verse 19, sorry. Go ye into all the world and teach all nations. Verse 19. Baptizing them in the name. Look at it now. In the name of who? Is the father a person? Is he a living person? Is dead? Is the father a person? So baptizing them in the name of who? Then who again? And who again? So do you see? He's listed with the, with, with the person of God. So all, John chapter 14 verse 26. Or let's go to Acts chapter 15 verse 28 first. Acts chapter, 26, Acts chapter 15 verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. <laughs> It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Now, to lay upon you a greater burden. Now, only a, a person can do that. A non-living thing cannot lay upon you a burden. Are you with me? So, you see, the Bible saying that it seems good to the Holy Ghost and to us not to lay upon you. He's using a picture of carrying load and placing it upon you. It's because he's alive. He's a person. Hallelujah. Number three. Masculine pronouns are always used to refer to the Holy Spirit. Masculine pronouns are always used to refer to the Holy Spirit. So you will not see the Bible use the word eat, 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 eat. No. It uses a masculine pronoun because it's a person. Alright? Look at it. John chapter 14 verse 26. John chapter 14 verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father, you see the Father there, will send in my name the Son. He, are you, are you seeing the Trinity at work there now? Those who don't believe in the Trinity, look at it. Say the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus the Son. He, not a hit. He will bring all things to your remembrance. So the masculine pronouns are always used to describe the person of the Holy Spirit. 
So the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. Are, are, are you following right now? Are you learning something? I'm proving to you the person of the Holy Spirit. Number four. The Holy Spirit does what persons do. The Holy Spirit does what persons do. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, chapter 12, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Can you give it to me, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. As he wills. Now you see the first thing. One and the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit works. Person, human being will walk, right? Person works. So it's only someone that is alive that can work. He said he's working. It's not standstill. He's working. He said one and the same Spirit works. All these things. The second thing is that he distributes things. He distributes gifts. He's distributing gifts. Then the third thing you will see, as he wills, he has a will. So he can decide to give and not to give. He can make decisions. He can make decisions. He tells you he has intellect. He tells you that he can think. He said he distributes to everyone as he has decided. He's a person. Are you with me? He does what persons do. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 4. Let's look at Acts chapter 13 from verse 1 to 4. Alright? Acts 13, 1 to 4. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, Acts chapter 13, I think I, the person that is there needs to be changed. Alright? I want someone that has speed and, um, and is very astute. Alright? Now in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain prophet and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Nijay, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, watch it, the Holy Spirit said, <laughs> the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me. Now separate to who? Me. Is a person. Separate this guy to me. Now if I say come to me, that means you must be able to comprehend me. That means you must be able to relate to me. So that means there were people who understood him. Now, he said that means he has a voice. Because you cannot say something that human being will understand without you speaking in the language that they can comprehend you. So he spoke in their language. He spoke in Hebrew. And they could understand him. He said, hey guys, you know what? Uh, hey, you come. Then he mentioned their name. <laughs> Can you see intelligence? He did not say, celebrate to me, someone. He mentioned their name. That means he knows everybody by their name, by their, by their identity. Only a person can do that. He said, separate unto me, Barnabas. And uh, who else do I want in this place? Hey, Saul. These two guys, separate them unto me. Then look at what he said. When he said and so, for the work 
which I, I have called them. It brings me to that other reason. That, do you see now that God is God, Jesus is Jesus, the Holy Spirit also is a distinct person. Is a distinct person. Separate them unto me for the work. I have called them. I have called them. It isn't that God has called them. I have called them. I have called them. I called them to the work. Is a person. Is somebody with me? How many points do you have on the person of the Holy Spirit? Number five. The Holy Spirit is treated, is treated as a person. The Holy Spirit is treated as a person. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. The Holy Spirit is treated as a person. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. This one is very interesting. And he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife is also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart <laughs> to lie to who? To lie to who? To lie to who? To lie to the Holy Spirit. And keep back of the price of the land for yourself. Now, the ideal thing that should have been said here for those who don't want to acknowledge the person of the Holy Spirit is easier to say to lie to God. Right? But I said, remember the foundation that the Holy Spirit is the ones that bring the fellowship of God and Jesus to us. So when you are relating with the Holy Spirit, you are relating with God. When you are relating with the Holy Spirit, even though he's a person, you are relating with Jesus. So he said to lie to God. Now, give me, continue. Look at, to lie to the Holy Spirit. Look at how he then puts it. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own, in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men. Look at it again now. But to who? Do you see the way it has changed it? You have not lied. He first said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. Then he now used, in, in, in other words, for you to understand the person of the Holy Spirit. That is God himself. He said, you have not lied to men, but to who? To God. To God. Wow. Is somebody still here? Why? Now, I, I told you something the other time. That there is a difference. Really, when you go into details, between when you say Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit. Remember I said that. Why is it called the Holy Spirit? Because you see, most people have a problem. And their problem is that they don't want to, they just think that the Holy Spirit is just a stagnant spirit is a spirit without a form you see when the English writers they were going to communicate the word spirit in the Bible when you say ghosts for instance you have limited 
the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because a ghost is a being that is not seen. But a ghost is not necessarily everywhere at the same time. Are you following me? Now follow me gently. Because I know that something is about to change. This one is a very important thing. The word for spirit in the Bible is from the Greek word pneuma. P-N-E-U-M-A. And do you know what it means? It means wind. Wind. Now, even in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word also is ruach. R-U-A-C-H. Ruach. It means also breath. Wind. Now, why is the Holy Spirit called the wind? So if you want, if is is actually describing because they don't have a way of describing this person of the Holy Spirit. So because you see, it, they can easily describe God, Almighty God, Jesus as a form, and you know God has a form already. What is the form of God? Jesus is the form of God. Jesus said, "If you have seen me." You have seen the Father. So the, I, the form of God is Jesus. Everything, he said, said, you have seen me, you are still asking for God. Hey, when you have seen me, you have seen God. In other words, the Bible says that we are created in the image of God. So in other words, the form of God is who you are, we are seeing in this room right now. So when you are looking for God, just look for a human being. Uh, I said, no, this is, the, this is the, that it, it tells you the form of God. Because he was standing with them physically. Of course, Jesus also has a physical personality. Because he came to this world. But what about the Holy Spirit? So, the, the Bible scholars, when God began to communicate the truth about the Holy Spirit, and they hear the word wind. Of course, the Holy Spirit is not wind. But the what is in their mind or what was in their mind is that they were communicating the attribute of the wind to describe the person of the Holy Spirit. When you understand the attribute of wind, then you understand why he is called the Holy Spirit. Because you see, you can capture the air, you can trap air, but you cannot stop the wind. The wind is unstoppable. Number two, the wind moves. The wind moves. So in other words, they are saying that, well, even though we don't know, we cannot see him physically. But we know that he also moves. He moves. So that's why they say the wind. Number three, you can, even though you cannot see the wind, you can feel its impacts. You can feel the impact of the wind. You, you know, when the wind is blowing right now in this place, you cannot see it, but you know it's here. You can feel the wind. So, you, you, you know, you, you cannot see the Holy Spirit physically, but you can see his activities in your life. You can see it. You can see it. Number three, number four, is that the wind is omniscience. The wind is everywhere. 
Togo wind is not different from Nigerian wind. Nigerian wind is not different from US wind. There is no border to say that this is the where the wind of Nigeria stands. So those now in America, they have another wind. Whether you are black or white, whether you are Caucasian, whatever you are, we have the same wind all around the place. And so the wind that is blowing here is the same wind that is blowing in America. It's the same wind that is blowing in Asia. So you see, when they, they, so they look at the word and say, no, the, old, the best thing we can describe this person with the best language to say wind. So the English writer then says to you, nah. of course, wind is invisible, but it's everywhere. And the best English word is spirits. That which you cannot see, but it's alive. That which you cannot see, but it's active. That which you cannot see, but moves. Can't you say that the wind can blow things down? It can destroy. It can carry things. That which you cannot see. Even the current, do you know that the current of the, of the water sometimes is determined by the wind? So this is why you then see that Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirits. He's not saying it's the Holy Spirit. He's, he was using the attribute of the wind to describe the nature of his word at that time. The words that I speak to you, they are spirits and they are life. So when I say the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Wind is different from the human wind. Is this one is a special wind? Is is omniscient? Is omnipresent? Is all powerful? And do you know what Jesus called the Holy Spirit? Jesus called him Father. <laughs> Even Jesus called him Father. <laughs> you see, you know what that means? Is Jesus said the works that I do. The father that is at work in me. The father that is at work in me. Doeth the works. It isn't my father which is in heaven doeth the work. He said the father that is at work in me was referring to the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah somebody. Is somebody still here? Say with me I love you Holy Spirit. Now, the person of the Holy Spirit, number, how many points do you have there? Then the Holy Spirit is another helper. I'm going to be stopping here today. I, I really think you, don't need, you, you need to avoid missing midweek service coming Tuesday. Because it's going to give me the opportunity to go deeper. And another thing is this. You can have questions. You can ask questions on Tuesdays. All right. So it's going, to, I'm going, it's going to give me the opportunity to go deeper on this subject and give you the opportunity to ask your questions. The Holy Spirit is another helper. Now one of the most amazing words that Jesus spoke can be found in John chapter 16, verse 7. Give me John chapter 16, verse 7. Look at it. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. <laughs> it is to your advantage that I go away. Pause. <laughs> I hear some people say that I would have loved to be around when Jesus was around so that I can um, hug him, so that I can feel him. 
How many of you would have loved to be around when Jesus was around? At least you would have seen him, right? But Jesus said, no. Those who were around, when he was around, they did not enjoy enough. He used the words, it is to your advantage that I go away. In other words, the best thing that can happen right now is for me to go away. Why did he say it's to your advantage? Because a greater experience is about to happen in their life. Something more than Jesus being around physically was going to happen because Jesus was limited to a particular space at a particular time in his human form. Say, no, I need to go away, guys. It's your, it, it is the best thing for me to go away. Then he said, for if I do not go away, the helper <laughs> will not come but if I depart, I will send him to you. I will send him to you. <laughs> Is somebody here? Now, the Bible then calls him another helper. John chapter 14 verse 6. Give me John chapter 14 verse 6 again. Let's go. John chapter 14 verse 6. Very fast, guys. John 14 6. Jesus said, I am the John 14, okay, verse 16, sorry. 16, 16. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another what? Helper. Good. Helper. Now, let me give you something here. The, the three synonyms that I use for the Holy Spirit, depending on the Bible translations you have, I want to tell you why the different Bible translation is trying to communicate different things. But the same thing, but using different English words. The three words majorly used for the word helper. So, New KJV, yes, says helper. If you have KJV, what you have is comforter. Then another translation says advocates. Now, in the church history, some said the Holy Spirit is just an advocate. That what Jesus meant is the word advocate. Advocate, advocate. Well, let me, so for the, for, for, for the purpose of knowledge, I want to explain why some translation uses the word advocate, some uses the word comforter, and others uses the word helper. But summary, okay, thank you. Oh, clap for the media guy. Whoever is there. That's what I want. So you can see now, this was saying, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Give me KJV now. Give me KJV now. KJV says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another word, comforter. So what are they saying here? You need to understand. Now, the Greek word that is used, that all of them began to pick the meaning from, is the word Paracletos. P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-O-S. Paracletos. Paracletos. And the word paracletos is two words. Para. Then, kletos. Para means to call or to be on one side. So, so it's there. Kletos means 
to summon. You know the word? So we say paracletos. Then I'm saying, I'm summoning you. Or you are being summoned. Or you are being called to be on my side. So let me give you an instance. So um, when there is an election or there's a voting, those who are siding with a candidate, they don't need to physically be behind him. But by the fact that you have aligned yourself with that candidate, that's paracletos. You are not just aligned with him. You are aligned there. You remember you want to vote. Voting is coming. So paracletos is not just called to one side. No. What that Greek word is saying is that, when, when I say where are the paracletos of Peter will be? Or paracletos of uh, Atiku? Or paracletos of, um, of um, who? Tinubu, the president-elect. All right. What I'm saying is that where are those who have been called to his side? To who I, where are his supporter? Is that what I'm saying? You cannot be the paracletos of Tinubu, for instance, and vote against him. Are you understanding that word now? You can't be a paracletos of Peter or B. And when you are there, you are voting against him. No, you are not. You are not as paracletos. Because paracletos means someone that is called to your side. Who is your friend? Who is supporting you? Now, when the word... Do you know the word comforter was actually not in, the, in, in English? The first time you hear the word comforter was when Wycliffe, as it sometime in 1830, all right, looked at the word, the Greek word, and looked at it, okay, what else, what will I use? So the first word that was actually used for the Holy Spirit was the word comforter. So that is why you see Revised Standard Version, older translation like KJV, they stayed with that word comforter. So I decided to investigate. Why will this use comforter? Why will this use advocate? Why will this one use helper? The word helper is very related. Then I did my research. And do you know what I found? The word comforter has two major origins. One is the French and the other is the Latin word. So comfortier and comforter. You know, I'm not Latin, so I'm, I'm, I may not pronounce it very well. But I just want you to understand something. Now, the French word, comforter, is actually where we derive the English meaning. Which is like someone who consoles you. Someone who, who comes to stand by the side of someone who is grieving. So when you hear comfort, for instance, people think that that person must be mourning, must be in sorrow. All right, now that's from the French root word, but the 